Welcome back. Welcome back to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Again, this is episode 346 of this weekly Omnibus News and Analysis Radio program. And if you're just joining us on the live stream, uh, you can catch this uh, recording or the podcasting format after the show on a number of platforms, including iTunes, uh, Spotify. Uh, we're up at iHeartRadio as well if you have a smart television through the iHeartRadio app uh, and also at 21st Century Wire and Spreaker.com, of course. That's the mothership of the alternate current radio network. All the programming of ACR is up at Spreaker.com. Just type in alternate current radio in the search bar uh, at Spreaker.com. And uh, our next guest uh, is a uh, political analyst, a senior fellow at the Global Policy Institute. Uh, He's also the author of Bombs for Peace, uh, about the war in Yugoslavia. There's a link to his book on the show page and also to his social media accounts, uh, Twitter and so forth, uh, on the show page as well. His name is George Samuele, and he's been a guest before on this program. And uh, George has been watching uh, the U.S. election quite closely, and uh, hopefully we're going to be able to pull out some insights uh, about what's going on. There's a lot of stuff that's being missed in mainstream coverage and in mainstream polling. So hopefully we'll get some of those details from George right now. Hello, George. How are you doing? Well, I'm fine. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, nice to be with you again. Great, great to be with you too, George. I mean, the first thing right off the bat, George, I want to ask you is how does this feel? You know, I know you've watched a number of political contests in America as well over the years. You know, how do you compare this? I mean, this is just the weirdest uh, presidential election cycle. It, does, it, it didn't really feel like a, a campaign until this week. And this isn't typical of, of, of politics. Obviously, we know this is because of lockdown or COVID, I guess. I mean, is that a legitimate excuse? I mean, what's going on here? I mean, how, how much of this change in the kind of the usual election cycle how do you think this is going to play into, you know, the result or how is it going to play into if people are going to accept the result? It's just strange, in my opinion. Yes, uh, it, it is indeed a, a bizarre election. Uh, and of course, nothing is more bizarre than the selection of Joe Biden as the nominee of the uh, Democratic Party. Um, this is a person who has been around in politics for uh, almost 50 years. Um, he's a, 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 a person with very few uh, accomplishments. He, um, as um, we, we know his record as a kind of a, as, as a senator from Delaware, uh, being a, the bag man for the credit card industry. Um, he um, has been uh, kind of supported every uh, military intervention uh, going. And what, what is clear and has been clear to everybody uh, from the start is that he, he has undergone a considerable physical and intellectual deterioration. Mm-hmm. So it's very strange that the, the Democrats uh, selected him. Uh, they obviously decided that be, because he's such a solid uh, figure, uh, he would be competitive, that he would somehow uh, get them over the finish line. He would be able to uh, defeat uh, Donald Trump. So they, they went for electability. They thought that uh, Bernie Sanders was obviously the 
the, the purported nominee, he seemed to be doing well, at least initially in the primaries. Um, he had done very well in 2016, you know, made a very formidable challenge to Clinton. Uh, you know, so he, he was clearly the front runner. Um, however, you know, the party establishment decided, no, 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 he's not electable. We have to go for someone electable. And so they landed up with this person who I think is the weakest nominee of any uh, political party um, in my lifetime. Uh, and I'm thinking of uh, when the Republicans selected Bob Dole in 1996. I mean, he was a very weak candidate. I mean, Mitt Romney in 2012, John McCain in 2008. These were all very weak candidates. But I think Biden is weaker than any of those um, uh, nominees. And the Democrats are running a very strange campaign, uh, which is, first of all, they keep Biden um, more or less under wraps. I mean, he, he doesn't go out all that much. Uh, and when he does, you know, he, there he is, he's dutifully wearing his mask. Um, but they're also running against COVID in the, and making this uh, odd argument that somehow Trump is to blame for COVID, the 220,000 deaths uh, that have been attributed to COVID are somehow Trump's fault, and that really Trump is the uh, is basically you know he's a murderer, a mass murderer. It's a very odd uh, campaign. I mean, it's a, I, I, because after all, there are natural disasters. It's very unusual to blame the president for a natural disaster, and yet that's the uh, the theme that Democrats are running with. So although it is strange, it's also not wholly different from the campaign that they ran in 2016, because in 2016, again, Hillary Clinton, extremely uninspiring, uh, again, a person with very uh, few achievements, no real ideas, uh, just, uh, uh, but, you know, she was the, the, the next, uh, next man or next woman in. She'd run before, um, in 2008, she'd failed, so now it's her turn. Uh, much as with Biden, you know, he's run twice before, it's kind of his turn. And she also ran a campaign in which they kept her under wraps. They, they, the, the party knew that she was widely disliked. So they thought, well, you know, if we keep her under wraps, we can just coast to victory. And the polls seem to suggest that the polls had her consistently um, ahead even though she really wasn't doing too much campaigning while Trump was out uh, holding his rallies, yet consistently uh, Clinton led um, nationally and um, uh, in the, um, the battleground states. And so exactly the same thing is happening now. You know, Biden is, is rarely to be seen, um, but nonetheless, he is uh, ahead in the, uh, the national polls and in the battleground state polls. I have to say that I'm very dubious about these polls. Um, and we, we really don't have an excuse to go on believing these polls and pretend that they measure anything because the track record of the polls in recent years has been absolutely abysmal. I mean, with, you know, we're, we're, they, the, the polls were wrong in 2016 with um, Trump, they were wrong on Brexit, they were wrong uh, about the, uh, the 2017 um, election where they underestimated the Jeremy Corbyn vote, they were wrong in 2015 the UK election, they were wrong in the 2010 UK election, they were wrong in the Israel election. So 
they really have, there's a serious problem with these polls. They keep getting them wrong, and you have to then raise questions about the methodology that they use, um, that they're oversampling certain voters and undersampling other voters, and we're getting a, a distorted uh, picture. Um, and I think I, I, that this is what's going to happen right now, because uh, there is no way in the world that Biden is leading by double digits. I mean, that's just, it's just, it just cannot happen. Um, so clearly we know that something is going wrong because a double digit lead means it's a landslide. Now landslides are very rare uh, in American politics. They, you know, there's usually some explanation for it. Nixon won by a landslide in 1972. He was seen to be an effective, competent president. His opponent was seen to be incompetent and an extremist, namely George McGovern. Um, Lyndon Johnson won by a landslide in 1964. Um, that was really a, an election about the assassination. The Kennedy was assassinated a few months earlier, and there was a kind of a, the nation felt grief over the Kennedy assassination and, and sought to assuage his guilt uh, by um, voting for Johnson. And the, the Reagan landslide, I think, um, uh, can also be explained by a, a certain fondness for Reagan, particularly after uh, the failed assassination attempt, where he, he seemed to be very, he, he handled it very bravely, and there was a certain bond that was forged uh, between the country and uh, Ronald Reagan. But the point is that these, these landslides are quite rare. And of course, there was uh, FDR's landslide in the midst of the, the Great Depression in 1932. Um, so, but there's no reason whatever to believe that this uh, very weak candidate, uh, Biden, will win by a landslide. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it cannot be. So clearly the polls are going wrong once again. Now, I'm not saying that uh, that means Trump will win, uh, but I am saying that the polls are getting it uh, wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you talk about landslides, the one that I remember... Uh, just, I'm just about, you know, just about old enough to to really see like the campaign in 1988. It was uh, George H. W. Bush and Mike Dukakis, right. and uh, that's because we had grown up uh, in Boston, uh, part of my childhood. So we knew Mike Dukakis as governor, and so you know he he was you know popular amongst you know New England Democrats and stuff. But you know I think Bush ended up. It was like it was a mega landslide in the electoral college. Something like four hundred and twenty electoral votes for Bush. Even it took an electoral college landslide. It wasn't a, a yeah. The, the numbers weren't the, the landslide. I mean, it wasn't ten. I don't. It was. It wasn't a ten point spread. So, but it wasn't yeah. an electoral college landslide. Yeah. But Dukakis took uh, Massachusetts, New York, West Virginia. I think no. Yeah, West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Iowa, Oregon, Washington, Minnesota, and Wisconsin didn't take California. Uh, California hadn't gone that sort of deep blue, by, you know, in that point in the, it was in the last, late eighties. Nineteen eighty-eight was the last time the Republicans took California. I mean, which used to be the solid, absolutely uh, rock rib Republican. I mean, it was always yeah. the state Republicans could count on. Yeah, but that was the last time Republicans took California. But but how easy was it back then? They just floated out this Willie Horton story uh, about Willie Horton getting furloughed, I think, and that kind of sunk the Dukakis campaign or knocked it pretty hard in the final couple months. And then, you know, George H.W. Bush, the establishment's candidate, obviously. Um, you know, so, but, but this, the Biden, he looks, he seems as unappealing 
on the surface as as Dukakis is. And, and it's, it's strange, George. I'm, I'm talking to Democrats and they're almost they don't particularly like Biden. Mm-hmm. But the whole, uh, you know, raison d'etre of the left of the Democrats in this election is that they hate Trump. It's about hating Trump and getting rid of Trump. And so it yep. doesn't matter what you put in. Anything but Trump, basically. So in, in one sense, this is going to be a big test, uh, a big proof positive test as to with an election as a strategy, does hate work? Because the, the Trump's base loves Trump. So mm-hmm. and the Democrat base hates Trump. So really, this is a down to a love versus hate. What is the stronger motivator when you go to vote uh, in mobilizing the base, getting people to to come out and vote? I mean, Yes. that's what I that's what I see like fundamentally you drill down to the meta level mm-hmm. on this that that's what I see that this would what it'll be very interesting to see uh, you know what what happens uh, on November 3rd not that it's going to be over on November 3rd that's another story we'll talk about but what do you what do you think about this hate versus this it's, it's basically that's the strategy is we hate Trump and there's not a whole lot in terms of you know policies that they're putting forward not that I can see anyway what do you think that's a very good question, and and I guess it's that's uh, we'll find out the answer to the question. My own feeling is that while there is certainly the the hate Trump is a powerful motivator, uh, is it enough to get people to stand in line uh, for ten hours in the cold uh, in Pennsylvania or in Wisconsin um, uh, on election day? When they are so unenthusiastic about the uh, the party nominee, um, I, I, I am a little skeptical. Um, and and uh, while the Trump supporters uh, are very enthusiastic about their candidate, so I think they are more likely to stand in line for ten hours outside the uh, the polling place on election day. Um, it, it, of course, it's a little different this year because there is a lot of early voting. Um, but judging by the what we can tell from the early voting, the Democrats are not doing as well as they need to be doing. I mean, of course, we always knew that the the Democrats would go for the early voting because they're so scared of the uh, the virus. Um, uh, uh, therefore, uh, they didn't want to go on election day, so they were, they were always going to go for the um, early voting, while the Republicans. Uh, who, who were afraid the, that their votes would be stolen, uh, were, were more likely to go and vote um, on election day. So the Democrats really need to build up a very, very substantial lead in this early voting to counter the uh, likely uh, Republican wave of voters on election day. And so far, um, from what one can gather, they haven't done that. I mean, the, the, the results out of Florida indicate that they don't haven't built up the kind of lead that they need. Um, and I think that's, that is an early indicator that, um, that uh, to answer that question, is it enough to get people uh, to vote? So far, they hate Trump isn't really getting people to vote. I mean, let's say uh, you're a follower of AOC and you want the Green New Deal, uh, you want to um, welcome in all, all immigrants, have um, uh, you know, open borders, um, and, and so on. You know, free college education for everybody, and so on. I mean, that, that, that's that's your plan. Do you really think that Biden is going to deliver 
or or, is it, or or would you feel disappointed and thinking that oh god now now we're going to have Biden and so people like me are going to be told to shut up uh, and support Biden for the next four years. Um, that's I, I I wonder whether they you know that, that the AOC fan club would really show up to vote for Biden. Uh, however much they may dislike Trump, they just don't think Biden is going to do anything to um, advance that um, AOC Bernie Sanders agenda. Well, actually, it'll, um, yeah, definitely is the Bernie Sanders side. I think that would be, you know, the fly in the ointment. And so we flag this up. We 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 we're calling this dark matter. There's a number of factors we're calling dark matter that you know are, are almost going to be impossible to pick up um, by sort of conventional analysis. One of those is the Bernie Sanders support base. So we're calling that the burn rate. If the burn rate is high in a right. particular state, that means there's a lot of disaffected Bernie Sanders supporters that feel like they've been stabbed in the back mm-hmm. by the Democratic Party. And they, they're on record as being very hostile to Joe Biden, you know, like mm-hmm. literally saying, there's no way we're going to vote for him. So, yeah. so what I think, George, is you talked about how you can't trust mainstream polling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about how the mainstream polling is off national Mm -hmm. opinion polls, not reliable. That actually plays into the hands uh, of, if you combine that with a high burn rate in a state Mm -hmm. like Nevada, for instance, Mm -hmm. those two, those, that's a lethal combination in in a, in a close swing state for, for the Democrats, because it's the perceived Joe Biden lead is going to give Bernie Sanders uh, supporters an excuse not to vote for Biden. Cause they're like, well, I don't want Trump, but I'll sit this one out because I hate Biden. And, so, so that that false impression of a, a landslide or a double-digit lead, I think this plays massively into Donald Trump and the GOP's hands, and I don't see any benefit other than a kind of you know grandstanding through the late summer and September and the first couple of weeks of of October, you know, some feel-good factor. I don't think how, where's the utility in that, George, on election day? That's the question. Right. No, I, I think so. And it's important that um, you know Biden has already gone back on fracking. I mean, in the primaries, he, you know, he made clear his position. He's going to get rid of fracking, and now he's explicitly saying, "Oh no, no, I, I, I never said that. Never said that at all." And so Biden is, and now, of course, in that uh, in the uh, the debate the other night. Um, he, he then blurted out that he was wanted to uh, transition away from uh, the oil industry. So he's managed to uh, alienate uh, just about everybody. He's alienated the, um, the AOC Bernie Sanders uh, wing of the party with his stance on fracking. And then he's also alienated the uh, workers in Pennsylvania um, who depend on the uh, oil industry uh, by suggesting he wants to transition away from this. So I think that's very much working against um, uh, Biden there. Um, I, I see. I think it's the, if if the Democrats had gone taken the risk of going with somebody who had a distinctive uh, position, I think there would be a much stronger um, state right now. Because if, if they, let's say they had gone for Bernie Sanders, <clears throat> you would have had an election contest uh, between a left wing populist and a right wing populist. Um, I, I tend to think the left-wing populists might well have won um, because uh, Trump clearly has serious vulnerabilities, with uh, particularly on the issue of health care. Uh, he still hasn't come up with a um, 
any any kind of a, a plan of you know, what is his healthcare plan? Just saying, uh, when he said promise, repeal, and replace, he hasn't done that. He just keeps saying, well, we got rid of the mandate, but you know, where's the replace part? He you know he hasn't come up with a convincing answer on that, and you know he keeps uh, talking about tax cuts. Well, of course, you know we know that tax cuts haven't been uh, a winning issue for Republicans ever since the late 1970s. So it's you know, the, the Republicans are kind of brain dead in continuing to run on tax cuts. Um, and then he touts the uh, the stock market. Again, Trump's core support is among um, non-college education, uh, co- not college educated white voters. Um, they are people who are quite uh, open to socialized medicine. Um, they have no interest in tax cuts. Um, they don't care about the stock market because they they don't have enough money to put in the stock market. Um, and so, you know, Trump would, would have certain vulnerabilities on holding on to this uh, constituency if he was up against someone like uh, Bernie Sanders, who would be openly um, advocating a kind of a, uh, a left-wing populist agenda of, you know, government programs. Um, that's not what happened. So because the Democrats decided we want someone electable, we don't want to take a risk of, uh, you know, somebody who wants to run on the issues. And generally, in politics, that's always a bad uh, gamble to take. I think, if, you know, if you think of Walter Mondale, Mondale was an absolute disaster because he was an uninteresting figure, but the Democrats decided well, he was electable. You know, he had been a senator for many years. Uh, he had been um, uh, Jimmy Carter's vice president. But again, the Democratic Party just you know, was completely unenthused by him. I mean, again, the Democrats would have probably done better had they gone for um, Gary Hart that year. I'm, yes. I'm no great fan of Gary Hart, but he would have probably done better than Mondale in the end, who only carried his own home state of Minnesota. Same thing with Bob Dole in um, in 96. I mean, the Republicans decided to go for him um, because they thought he's electable. You know, he's, he was man had been majority leader in the Senate, minority leader, he'd been around forever. Okay, let's go for him. But of course, it turned out that the Republicans sat on their hands. They weren't going to show up to vote for Bob Dole any more than Republicans were going to show up to vote for Richie Rich, um, uh, Mitt Romney in, in 2012. Again, he, you know, next man in, he's been around, he'd run before, um, you know, he, he was uh, seemed to be electable. But, you know, no, no one was going to vote for uh, Mitt Romney. So it's always a, a, a foolish a decision that parties take, or we want somebody who's electable, yeah, but he's someone that is unable to uh, inspire any enthusiasm among uh, his core constituents. Yeah, I think about 2008, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the selection of John McCain Uh, as one of the worst possible, you know, people you could could ever field, um, you know, just completely mental. Yes. and, and but he looked at the primaries, the the GOP primaries. I mean, Ron Paul mm-hmm. ran an epic campaign in mm-hmm. 2008. I think he took yeah. New Hampshire. He was second, or he was yeah. uh, one Iowa, I think, or tied for yeah. first. I can't remember exactly, but he did incredibly well. In, in, in some ways, he did better in 2008 early 
than he did in 2012. And he ran a strong campaign in yeah. 2012, but he was filling, you know, stadiums. Uh, yes. He filled, you know, the Target Center and places like this, you know, so he 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 drummed up a yes. lot of enthusiasm. So the, the X factor is which interesting, George, you talked about, you know, what it would be like if a left wing populist yes. uh, was was waged against a, in a grudge match against a right wing populist. So Bernie yes. Sanders versus Trump, the X factor in that question would be who will the media side <laughs> with? Because who the media side with, that's where the intelligentsia goes. Those are the moderate votes. And yes. the moderate votes are people with college education yes. um, who have a 401k if they're on fixed income, retirees on fixed income. I mean, they're definitely voting along the lines of stock market performance for yes. for a lot of people. I mean, that's a big that's an important thing uh, because, you know, that's the difference between, you know, a 30 percent haircut in their monthly, you know, income, fixed income as a retiree. I mean, that's huge. Yes. Uh, 40 percent, you know. So so but the media. So would the media get behind Sanders or would they do a Corbin on him? And then the media would basically step back and maybe kind of, you know, pave the way for Trump. You know, is, I think that's the X factor, George. Is that's the a, establishment in the media? What do you, What do you think? That's a, that's a very interesting um, uh, question as to you know whether whether the media would do a um, um, a Corbyn um, on him. Um, it, it's man, I mean, it, it's it's hard to know because um, the, the the British press is much more kind of there's a, there's a kind of Tory uh, quality to the British press that I think doesn't exist in in the United States. So. Um, it, it is. It isn't surprising what, what the the UK press did to Corbyn. They had done before to any uh, left wing uh, kind of populist figure within the Labour Party. I mean, you're probably too young to remember the days of uh, Tony Benn. Um, what the media did to um, Tony Benn. I mean, compared with that, I mean, what they did to Corbyn pales into significance. Um, but Ben, I think, was a more formidable um, figure, and I think the the, the media uh, weren't really quite able to um, destroy him and demoralize him in the way that they did to uh, Corbyn. I think Ben just knew better how to take on the media and how to fight back. I mean, Corbyn didn't seem to um, know how to do it. Um, but I, I, I would suspect, I, I may be wrong here, I, I suspect the media would probably... Uh, get behind uh, Bernie Sanders, and they would probably urge him to take a, a, a VP, you know, some uh, uninspiring centrist figure. And, and Sanders, <laughs> yeah. was, you know, I, you know, I don't know, some, somebody like um, uh, that, that, the, the the woman from Minnesota, uh, Amy Klobuchar. Yes, uh, yes, yes, much beloved by the media, utterly vapid. Uh, you know, doesn't have anything interesting to say about anything. Um, but I, I could imagine uh, Sa Sanders selecting uh, Klobuchar as his running mate. And then pretty soon th there'll be some kind of, the pressure will rise, should, should Sanders, of course, win the election, to get Sanders to step aside. You know, he's too old, you know, health problems, uh, and, and so on. And so, so I think that might be the scenario that the media would go with. Yes, let's get uh, uh, Sanders over the finish line with Klobuchar, and then let's get rid of um, uh, Sanders and you know and have Klobuchar as um, the uh, as, as the number one. Uh, something very similar is actually going on right now because I think that uh, given the scandals 
that are already embroiling uh, Biden. And should Biden win, uh, I, I don't think Biden will be in that uh, office for very long. I think then all better off. The, the pressure will grow on Biden and all of the investigators and the politicians will now start piling on Biden uh, because, uh, you know, the, the Democrats would much rather have um, uh, Kamala Harris in the Oval Office than Biden. So the, the, the safety that Biden has enjoyed so far that the, in the, the media haven't touched the, um, uh, the Hunter Biden story, I think that will end. I mean, if he wins, the media will, will seize on this and will suddenly start investigating thoroughly the, the whole uh, Hunter Biden issue. Uh, Congress will start investigating and uh, pressure will grow for Biden to step aside. I imagine, you know, the Department of Justice will start investigating. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few months uh, the DOJ would come to Biden and say, you know, you know you've got a serious criminal liability here. Uh, and since it all happened before uh, you became president, um, you can't avoid prosecution. Uh, and then Biden will just step aside and, you know, Kamala Harris will be president. So I, I really do think that if Biden does win this election, uh, Kamala Harris will be president um, within, within the next 12 months. Yeah, oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So in that sense, Joe Biden's a bit of a Trojan horse, yeah, uh, a brittle and decrepit one at that. But um, it, and that's kind of horrifying because, you know, a lot of people don't rate Kamala Harris as a you know, high quality um, individual. Uh, in her demeanor, in her record, in her views, in her general bedside manner, which is quite terse and aggressive yes. uh, and condescending. Yes. So you know, she's not exactly going to – she would not exactly be the leader of the United States. I would think that she would be, um, on, in terms of divisiveness, much more divisive than, than Barack Obama, who is an absolute silky smooth operator in comparison yes. to uh, – to yes. Kamala Harris, even though he was divisive and Extremely he did so. play the race card a lot. And, you know, he Al Sharpton was in the White House like yes. how many times with yes. meetings with the president. So <clears throat> she would be on another level. I mean, that I do fear for the republic with somebody like that in that would try to shepherd the mob in the way yes. that she has already demonstrated that she yep. can. But just to backtrack for this election. Mm -hmm. So do you think. This is the way I see it, George. I'm looking at the uh, the background noise. And mm -hmm. do you think this, I think that the big question, the thing that will determine this election, which to me, it looks like a close election right now, is, mm -hmm. is there a bigger split in the Democratic Party uh, or a bigger split in the Republican Party? You know, the Republican Party would be the never Trumpers, the people who have, you know, who don't like Trump. And in the Democratic Party, it would be the burn, the burn rate. Mm -hmm. And other independents that uh, you know won't go for Biden. What what do you think about that? Because that's one of my background theories as to what could swing the election in in close states. Well, that's a, a really interesting um, issue. But the never Trumpers um, really don't have much of a following within the party. I mean, if you look at the the polls within the Republican Party, uh, Trump has more than ninety percent support. Uh, he did extremely well in the uh, Republican primaries. Uh, I mean, yes, he didn't have uh, any challenges, but on the other hand, people showed up to vote for him in the primaries. That, that's quite significant. Um, so the never Trumpers really don't have any following 
uh, within the party and among party voters. Um, but that is a different issue from the um, Republicans, uh, particularly in the Senate, because I think there are many, many Republican senators who would detest uh, Trump and would not be at all um, unhappy to see him go. I mean, you're thinking of um, Mitch McConnell, uh, the majority leader. You think of uh, John Cornyn uh, from Texas, the guy um, Gardner, Cory Gardner in Colorado, uh, Ben Sass in Nebraska. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't think Lindsey Graham is a is a huge fan of uh, Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think many of these uh, Republican senators would be very happy to see the back of Trump. They've always felt uncomfortable with that kind of uh, populist message. Um, But within Congress, however, the Democrats are a wonderfully uh, disciplined body. I mean, they they really stick together. Um, But among among the voters, I think uh, the the Democratic voters, there is a real split. I mean, there, I think Biden doesn't have that kind of support among uh, potential Democrat voters that that Trump has. I don't think among Democrat voters, they, you know, they Biden enjoys anything like 94 percent support. So I think that that's it. So it's it's a difference between how the, the Democrat voters feel as opposed to how the Democrats uh, do in Congress. Because when it comes to, the, whether it's in the House or in the Senate, uh, the Democrats always um, uh, stick together. Um, and none of them would ever say uh, a, a negative word about their uh, purported leader. But in the case of Trump, I mean, you know, even, you know the election is you know, just uh, 10 days away. And, and the, these Republican senators are openly talking about uh, him in a negative way. They, are, they, you know, they, they kind of openly predict uh, a defeat for their uh, for the lead, the titular leader of their party so you know it, it would be inconceivable for the democrats to talk in this way so so i think it's a there's a kind of interesting uh, dichotomy. I mean, it, 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 it works completely differently in the two parties. Uh, here, the Republican uh, leadership in the Senate, they don't like Trump, whereas the Republican voters love uh, Trump. Um, but uh, here, within, within the Democrats, I think the Democrat voters uh, don't like Biden, but the, the, the Democrats in Congress will, will absolutely stick through thick and thin with Biden. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're right, and f- somehow Donald Trump has engineered a, an absolute lock on the evangelical vote, on the conservative heartland vote, and because of his position on Israel, for instance. I mean, yes. it's highly contentious in terms of international affairs and laws, and and mm-hmm. flies in the face of how many different UN resolutions. But in terms of locking in that. Uh, evangelical vote, the Christian conservative, the Christian Zionists, all the rest, John Hagee's pastoral congregation, everything. Um, He's got that locked in. And even though, George, even though some of these conservative Christians, even Mike Pence, they must look at some of, you know, Trump's bedside manner with horror, the things that Mm -hmm. he says. I mean, he's even slagged them off for 
yes. you know, backing or mindlessly backing Israel. He made an offhanded comment a couple of months ago that I thought was hilarious, which was yeah. absolutely true <laughs> that they yeah. cared more about. I can't remember what it was. That, yeah, the, 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 he said evangelicals in America, Christian Zionists care more about the embassy in Jerusalem being moved than, than, than the Jews do in Israel or something like this. <laughs> it's insane, but it's actually true. So he's locked them down, even though they don't like him. The Mormon vote is, to me, massive. And a lot of Mormons turned against Trump because of yes. his demeanor because of his more you know his this perception that he's an immoral individual and yes. you know his behavior doesn't you know reflect the mormon community and that's massive you're talking about i mean utah is conservative through and through there's no doubt about that aside from a few minor pockets but that nevada is very much split so the mormon vote could swing either way for or against Trump, or you know, even if they sat out, it would it would hurt the Republicans. And in Northern Arizona, those districts as well, you know, massive Mormon community there. So the you know, Mormons are an incredibly important. They become an important voting block in America. And yes, uh, with this president, but yeah, you know, what do you think about some of these other sort of you know right. the, these hidden patches that are around the country like this? Right. No, I think it's a very interesting because I think yeah, Trump will carry Utah. You remember there was quite a lot of speculation in 2016 that he wouldn't carry Utah because the, the Mormons um, uh, didn't like him, just as you say. Uh, but he might be a, a, a trick in Nevada because Nevada is one of those uh, states that I think Trump uh, wants to pick up, uh, particularly you know if if he loses something like uh, you know Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, he needs to make up numbers somehow. And Nevada is one of the states that he, he hopes to pick off. So uh, that, that could be a, a significant factor. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it, uh, what is interesting and what I'm at the moment not entirely sure of is that um, uh, Trump has um, gambled quite heavily on being able to pick off um the black vote and the Hispanic vote. He thinks he can get get into sort of into double digits um, with the black vote, which hasn't been accomplished, I think, since Richard Nixon in 1972 by any Republican, uh, and maybe you know get up to in something like in in the 30s or even 40s with um, the Hispanic vote. Uh, he's gambling heavily on that. I, I'm a little skeptical that he's going to be able to pull that off. I think that. Um, they, you know that black voters, uh, particularly black men, may quite like Trump. They they like his kind of his uh, brashness, his swagger, his entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, but when it comes time to vote, uh, I think that they're still going to stick with the Democrats. Um, so, but but that, I mean that's something that uh, Trump has gambled on. But of course, the the danger there is that um, uh, Trump may have alienated um, uh, his base. Uh, so. Uh, there was a peculiar moment um, during the uh, the last debate with Biden in which they were uh, comparing uh, who let out more uh, prisoners uh, from prison, uh, you know, uh, Trump or Obama. Well, given the um, the spike in the crime rate uh, over the past year, 
Uh, it's a strange thing to boast about. Uh, you know, you know, murder is rates is soaring in Chicago and New York City, and and you're boasting about how many people you let out from prison. It's an odd claim to make. Um, so, so I think there you can see, you know, Trump is trying to court the black vote by, um, you know, harping on about the the 1994 uh, uh, criminal uh, uh, Biden Biden's criminal bill, but in fact. Um, you know, it's 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 an odd thing for him to do because uh, Trump has always been a law and order person. I mean, you know, he, this is a guy who wanted the Central Park Five executed. Uh, it's, it's funny for him to suddenly pose, not entirely plausible, pose as this uh, uh, penal reformer. The same thing goes with um, the issue of immigration, which really should be uh, a home run for um Trump, but he seemed to fluff it in the debate, in which again he got into an exchange, lengthy exchange with Biden as to who built the cages, um, rather than, which I think should be a very strong issue for uh, Trump. He says, look, I've actually, unlike you and um, Obama, I've actually done something to um, bring immigration under some kind of a control. Uh, and uh, but instead, he seemed to be siding with, uh, with with people like Biden, as if somehow all of these uh, the cages. It's that, that that's really the central immigration issue. You know, how are we going to uh, reunite uh, families? Um, whereas his issue should be, you know, how, how do we stop the, the flow of illegal immigrants? So he kind of lost that issue, which he should have really uh, run with, and that could uh, affect his. Um, uh, his vote among um, you know his his base, which is the uh, the non college educated whites, who feel very strongly on the issue of immigration. Yeah, yeah, I know the separation of families. It's a to me a completely false talking point. Um, right. And having covered the border issue myself um, up close during the Obama administration, actually, uh, what I what I observed uh, when I was covering that story was that uh, a lot of the the under the underage minors. That were coming uh, through were unaccompanied, or yes. with a guardian, or a cousin, or an uncle, or a second cousin, and the parents were back at home yes. with uh, another, you know, six or seven kids. So they sent the kids on their own. So a lot of times, what they're being separated from is not their parents, but yes. whoever they got, you know, twinned with when they were yes. sent north uh, on the route up to the U.S. I mean, that's a, a huge amount of. Uh, in terms of proportion, they're not all like real families that are being separated. So, exactly. Exactly. so, but that that doesn't get picked up uh, it, by the mainstream media. But um, on Nevada, George, I think that's right. And but he should have, he Trump should have absolutely run with that. Precisely the point that you just made, and said, well, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to let young children, you know, be in uh, adult prisons with with people who are not there, and you know, not family. I mean, that that's yeah. your solution. Uh, so, uh, yeah. but. Yes. Yeah. On, on, on Nevada, George, um, you know, the there's two factors that I think could flip Nevada uh, in favor of Trump. OK, slim margin in 2016, like you said at the beginning of our segment that, you know, we I think because the candidates are so similar. Uh, I'm talking about Biden and Hillary Clinton. There's no reason not to be looking at the 2016 uh, electoral map and to give you at least a guide mm -hmm. of you know, where the base is on the on the Republican side and where it is on the Democratic side. But there's two factors. One is the Bernie Sanders support base in a state like Nevada is very high. Yes, um, so that's a that's an X factor that I don't think bodes well for the Democrats. The second thing is there's been a net influx 
of California refugees into the state mm-hmm. of Nevada since 2016, upwards mm-hmm. of 200,000, okay? So yes. how many of those are red refugees? Yes, Let's exactly. say half of them are red refugees, and it's likely yes. that they are. That would, yes. that would be enough to swing Nevada in Trump's favor. Yes. But, so that's but, a very good yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah no i think that's it i think i i i think nevada is very much uh there for the taking for uh for trump yeah ab- absolutely um i think that's a um one that trump hopes to pick up um just in case he loses some of the key states that he, he gained in 2016 i think new hampshire i think is another one that um he's um he's eyeing i think he's, he's speaking in new hampshire today um I think um, uh, one of those districts in Maine, I think, is another one that he wants. Um, because, you know, he, he has to sort of uh, concern us. I think things like Colorado, I think, is a stretch. I don't think he's going to take um, uh, Colorado. Um, uh, but, but I think those, those are the ones that um, are kind of ones that he can pick up, you know, just in case he's not able to take Wisconsin and Michigan. Is it not strange? I mean, it just... Take a step back and look at this from like the 50,000 foot view. There was a time in American politics where, you know, presidents, when they went out on the trail, they they really were, you know, they would go after every single district. They go into hostile territory, believing that they could, you know, turn it if they just were, you know, they connected with the voters enough and that that. But now it's so polarized that, you know, I don't think Donald Trump would do any campaigning, let's say, in a massive uh, electoral state like California, for instance, or like you mentioned in Colorado, um, okay. unless he was stumping for a congressional candidate or a Senate candidate or something like that. Yes. But, you know, yes. th- what do you think about this? I mean, in terms of just the trajectory of America as a country, um, that this, I think this is a potentially very unhealthy development in recent history that, mm-hmm. that I think could end up down the road um, being a kind of harbinger of a real danger uh, for America to retain its republic shape. What do you think? No, I think it's an excellent point because <clears throat> you're absolutely right because elections are now really uh, about half a dozen states. I mean, that's all the, you know, no, you know, there's no point in campaigning other than in a half a dozen states because uh, you have uh, California and New York, uh, Illinois, uh, that's definitely all in the uh, the Democrat camp, um, you know. And despite there was a lot of um, talk among the Democrats, oh, we're going to go for Texas and so on. No, Texas is solidly Republican, and and the Democrats didn't really make any uh, serious attempt to uh, campaign in Texas. So you got Texas, uh, the South, uh, you know, uh, going towards um, uh, the Republicans. So you're really only talking about the industrial Midwestern states. Um, plus uh, Florida, and, and those, you know, and, and, they, and again, Nevada, New Hampshire. So the battle really is it's all decided within those um, uh, few states. And I think what it really leads to is that what happens on um, election night, because if, if, as seems likely, it's going to be a very close result, it, it's uh, uh, very unlikely that uh, either side will accept this result uh, peacefully. Uh, we saw how um, the, the Democrats didn't accept the 2016 election result, cooked up the whole Russiagate hoax to explain their defeat. Um, should they fail uh, again and again, and Trump is reelected, um, I think 
Russiagate will come back. Again, they'll blame Russia. And, you know, Hunter Biden gate, I don't know whether we call it Hunter gate or Biden gate or whatever, will undoubtedly play, you know, will, will be used against uh, Trump um, to, to say that this is why uh, we lost. And given that the Democrats will almost certainly control um, the House and may even control the Senate, impeachment will be uh, launched uh, almost <laughs> after <laughs> the yeah. next day. I mean, there will already, Nancy Pelosi will already be planning the next impeachment. Uh, yes. you, know, what, what, you know, whatever the issue, maybe it's on the Amulaments uh, Clause or maybe uh, something to do with uh, Hunter Biden, maybe it's back to Russia, but there will be an automatic impeachment and maybe several impeachments in the, in the Trump second term. Um, and, and similarly, if uh, Trump loses, uh, his supporters will not accept it. They think that essentially he, he was sabotaged uh, from within. And particularly if something goes wrong with the count, if they start this whole thing of counting and counting and counting until finally they eke out a, a Democrat victory, you know, in the much as they um, remember in 2008 in Minnesota when Al Franken uh, won that race. Remember, I mean, it was the, the other guy, Norm Coleman, had won, but then they yeah. started counting more and more and more, and then they said, oh, well, this was um, unfairly uh, dismissed, and so we, this vote can count, and this vote can count, and it's all about reading the intent of the voter, and they kept counting and counting, and this went on for several months until, lo and behold, um, Al Franken uh, was declared the winner. Uh, so if that sort of thing is now done in Pennsylvania or in some other states and, and everything hinges on that, um, then I, you can see that the Trump supporters will not accept it. And there I think they might uh, result, you know, there'll be a kind of a resurgence of the militia movement from the 1990s. And, and if the government then moves uh, against it, using force against it, you know, the way, the way they did against um, the Branch Davidians at Waco, and there is some kind of a bloodbath, as there was in 1993 at Waco, uh, I, I think some kind of a civil war is not at all an unlikely outcome. Yeah, yeah. As, as, as much as I am reticent to uh, agree with you, George, um, you know, you, the, the Al Franken thing was, that was classic. Yes. Um, you know, it, multiply that times six yes. or yes. seven states. The, the, the amount of lawsuits I see building through all these different uh, community organizing groups and you know, shepherded by move on and stuff. They've got action groups um, hitting the courts in a bunch of states. And so the, that would basically extend uh, the, you know, Trump could call the election on the day, could declare victory. But the, as we said on this show before, the media and the Democrats and, uh, you know, the deep state, if you will, they, they will all be in lockstep to say that, no, 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 we can't call the result yet. Every vote needs to be counted. And there'll be these, you know, campaigns will have some, you know, 18-year-old girl from some college saying, crying, saying her vote's not counted. This president doesn't represent me. And every vote yeah. counts. And there'll be like Hollywood hashtags on all of I mean, I, I see this, ro you know, rolling out like this, George. Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, yeah. And, th and then they're going to keep the counting. And then, and then you have these ridiculous things. Of, oh, we found some more votes that we can count uh, because uh, they were unfairly disqualified. And we can start reading the intent of the voters. You know, well, you know, yes, he, did, he didn't go through all the uh, appropriate uh, procedures that you're supposed to, but we can read his intent. And they're going to keep doing this, keep counting. Um, and if that does happen, and then, yes, 
you know, Trump de- is declared the winner, and then find, you know, several weeks later, they say, no, uh, Trump didn't win Pennsylvania. Uh, Trump actually lost Pennsylvania. It, there's just no way that anyone's going to accept that uh, outcome. Uh, and, and, I, and I really think that this, this is where it's going to be uh, very dangerous. I mean, I mean, I really think this mail-in voting thing is 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 really absurd. I mean, they you know, mail-in voting, early voting should be kept to an absolute minimum. I mean, yes. you know, yeah. I mean, it is it is absurd to have people uh, voting several months before an election. So because yeah. the, you know the election only goes into high gear within the last month or two. So therefore, all the various issues that the key issues that are raised in, in the last month or two and you know such as for instance even the the, the, the hunter biden disclosures you know emerged here we had the debates it, it it's just absurd for people to go and uh, vote uh, early while you know essentially the campaign is still ongoing and 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 particularly when it's not at all clear that the uh, the electoral system in place in the united states is can cope with it I mean, we saw, you know, we've seen before that the, the, the uh, what happens in these elections where, um, uh, you know, the, there, there is no transparency in how these votes are counted. And if this is going to be multiplied across uh, you know, many states, then you, you, you're going to have an election that the result that people aren't just going to, not going to accept those results. Yeah, and it'll be chaos. And, you know, I, I tell people, George, you know, look at what happened uh, post-George Floyd. I mean, mm-hmm. the country, half the country, at least some of these big cities at least, uh, you know, came to a kind of grinding halt because yeah. of this combination of lockdown and then the mass protest, the BLM movement and all that. I mean, cities were burning, multiple cities yeah. at once. So I, I'm saying multiply that times four or five and you have yes. a, a national crisis. And then, George, yeah. what happens is the international national community starts weighing in it becomes an international media issue you have world yes. leaders and i can see merkel and all the rest of them yes. lining up to yes. call for the trump to do the right thing and step down yes. for the good yes. of the country so like a yes. color revolution like we do like the yes. us does in yes. you know tunisia or egypt yes. or uh, belarus but but being done in the united states you know at the united states Yes, that's a, that's a very interesting scenario. Yeah, I, I can quite see that. Yes, Merkel and Boris Johnson and Macron it will suddenly weigh in, and yes, uh, Trump um, Trump should set, uh, step down, and um, uh, and then they would put out feelers towards um, uh, Biden. You can you can just see you know Biden will fly into um, Paris and yeah, um, exactly and meet with Macron, and you know with, and then, you know Macron will totally. kind of treat him as. Yeah, you know, the legitimately elected uh, president. Yeah, because, uh, you know, these people would would love nothing more than uh, the return of uh, normalcy, the return of the sort of the the foreign policy establishment, the usual crowd, the the NATO Atlanticist um, uh, interventionist brigade back in uh, in control in Washington. So they, you know, they, 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 they're already drooling at the prospect of a Biden presidency and, and all the all the characters that Biden is going to bring in with him. You know, the Samantha Powers, the Nicholas Burns, 
the God. Jake Sullivan's, the um, uh, Susan Rice. You know, they, they, these, they, they, they can't wait to be dealing with all of these people. And then we'll be having our, the transatlantic uh, dinner parties and uh, drinking toasts to NATO, which Trump, to his credit, never did. You know, he never said anything good about NATO, whereas <laughs> you can see that you know, with, with Biden, it'll again be NATO, the bulwark of um, freedom and democracy. So <laughs> everything will be back to normal. Yes, that's right. That's right. It'll be uh, Fragois and uh, and champagne uh, with John Kerry uh, quipping in French, that's and uh, they're all sitting back saying, "Oh, so cultured, so wonderful." Look at Biden there with Macron. He's so graceful and international. This is America's. I'm feeling like this is America again, like from the, uh, the the liberal sensibility. Yeah, gosh, that's a nightmare, George. Honestly, it really but, is. And, and, you know, I'd be fearful if I was some country with a soft underbelly as well as what, you know, what that lot can do in terms of uh, proxy wars and subterfuge and all the rest of it. So but um, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, George, I want to thank you for. Uh, joining us this week. It's been an awesome conversation. Well, thanks, uh, thanks so much, Patrick. You know, it was, uh, it was great fun and, uh, yeah, and a great, great time and a great conversation. Yeah, and we got a big week, George, ahead of us. <laughs> Let's just say it's, it's going to be historic. So uh, buckle up. Um, hopefully we'll catch up to you during the week anyway on the back channels, George. See how you're doing and, uh, and watch your Twitter feed. Uh, yes. You can look at George Samuelis' uh, social media feed. Uh, stay tuned to his Twitter feed for some good tips and updates as well. George's work is up there as well. And also there's a link to his book, Bombs for Peace, on our show page. But take care, George. Thank you. See you you soon, Patrick. There he goes. That's George Samuelie. And uh, we're going to take a short break and connect our roaming correspondent for culture and sport in just a minute, Basil Valentine, for some odds on the election. We'll see which way the betting markets are going on this election and what that means. How do you translate that into, like, where the voters are going? Basil's going to give us some hints on that after the break. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. We'll be right back.